0: Welcome to Addictions Edited, the uh, SSA podcast. Our our regular podcast is kind of in the um, uh, being mended at the moment. So what we're doing is we're having a series of interviews with people who are presenting at our annual conference coming up in November. Uh, So with me today is Dr. Alexis Roth, who is an associate professor at the Department of Community Health and Prevention at Drexel University in Philadelphia in the US. Um, Alexis is also the founder of the Health Equity Advancement Lab Heal, which we'll come on to talk to in a moment. Um, so, uh, Alexis, one of the things that you're going to be talking about at the SSA conference is the Unity Philly app. Can you um, just give an overview of what this app is to start with?
1: Yeah. I think it's also probably important to lay a little bit of like backstory, which is to note that, you know, there is an unprecedented number of opioid related overdoses that are happening worldwide. Um, and in the United States for the first time ever in 2021, there were more than, um, a hundred thousand overdose fatalities last year. So it really suggests that there is, Um, a critical need to optimize the impact of take-home naloxone or overdose education naloxone distribution programs, which get um, naloxone, the opioid overdose antidote, into the hands of folks who can use it and be on scene to timely administer it, not only to prevent death, but a whole host of um, mal-effects that can happen when somebody doesn't have oxygen getting to their brain for a
0: period of time. Oh, 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 we were talking, we had a, a podcast talking about naloxone a, a few months ago, and it was, it, it was really interesting, that, that, that notion, I think that's what this app talks to, is the, uh, is that one of the active ingredients of naloxone is it being there at the time at which someone's experiencing an overdose. You know, you kind of, when you talk about active ingredients, you quite often think of the medical ingredients, but actually its presence is one of the most substantial kind of uh, important and, and, and difficult things to guarantee.
1: Absolutely. Right. We often focus on how many, you know, uh, doses of naloxone have been distributed, but we don't necessarily focus on the time varying covariates of when people possess the naloxone and or carry it on them. And as you mentioned, those are all critical determinants of having it available when it's needed. Yeah. So to to answer your first question, which is to say, like, why is Unity Philly important? So Unity Philly was designed to sort of address that issue that we need timely. We need folks who are available at all hours to administer naloxone in a timely manner. So we um, worked with folks who use opioids to create um, an app and to develop uh, an emergency response community of concerned citizens, some folks who used illicit opioids and some who did not, who lived in the Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia, which is our epicenter for the overdose crisis. Um, We enrolled about 112 people who said, yes, I'll carry naloxone. And then they used an app um, to signal when they might um, see somebody who could benefit from a dose and they either needed support, didn't have it on them, etc. And then when people on the receiving end of the app got that alert, people would then um, go to that emergency to try and facilitate administration of Narcan.
0: The app itself, the development of that app is absolutely amazing. Um, but there's so many other amazing things that kind of go around it. Um, so firstly, and I think kind of you know, might as well go chronologically, can you talk us through some of the, uh, the consultations that you had with people who use drugs, people who would be willing to carry naloxone? Because, you know, obviously without that kind of user data, you can't then build the app. So, so, so that as a starting point, what kind, of, um, what kind of questions did you ask, I suppose?
1: Yeah. I mean, as a starting point, we we were able to capitalize on a longstanding partnership that we had with Prevention Point Philadelphia, which is the largest syringe services program um, in the mid-Atlantic. They serve over 20,000 folks who use opioids every year. It's just a massive harm reduction agency. And we worked to recruit some of their staff, their medical providers, and their clients to participate in a series of focus groups where we ask their opinions about the apps, what might be some of the facilitators and barriers to using that app, um, and their general, you know, acceptability and willingness to participate in something like that with this goal of trying to understand like the technological components, like how simple would it be, but what were the other more, um, like trust facing components or community facing components, because people have had, um, a lot of stigmatizing, potentially harmful relationships with people who have reversed them in the past, whether it's someone who's stolen from them or they've been afraid, fearful of the police for showing up if they had an, a pre-existing warrant or something like that. So there's a lot of concerns that we needed to try to attend to, which we did um, our best using this consumer-driven design process that was led by Dr. Gabriella Marcu at um, University of Michigan.
0: So, in that process, um, you then have a, you know, presumably you, you have this kind of um, this design, this idea, this innovation of, of an app that will put people in contact with each other. Um, What was it like working with a tech firm to make that, I mean, I presume you worked with a tech firm, but like, what was it like communicating uh, with those kind of partnerships, developing those kind of partnerships so that you could get something that, you know, I guess from their perspective worked and that from your perspective worked for the task that you, that you wanted to design it was, was that difficult. I suppose I'm asking.
1: Yeah, and it, it is difficult because the technology that we used was developed in Israel by a company called Nowforce, where they had used all kinds of emergency response communities to attend to a a host of different problems. So some were for the military using this app to try and show up when there were certain kinds of disasters. I believe our colleague David Schwartz used um, an emergency response community to try and get epinephrine on scene when it was needed. Um, So the, in many ways, like the back end of the technology was developed, like they had already built the sort of like Uber for overdose component where it's like, you signal, we alert, we can geofence these things. Um, That part was there, but then trying to work with them to customize it, to make it simpler, um, more streamlined, uh, more like what you might find on like a game kind of app was, was a challenge and something that we're still working towards. We have another large study um that we're we're hopeful will get funded soon, that would be like taking the Unity Philly, which was based in the Kensington neighborhood and expanding it across the city and then further refining the application to simplify it even more.
0: I think as you've already suggested, um feasibility is a big is a big part of this. Um, now I understand that you've, you've gone through several designs of uh, wearable technology that would identify someone who is uh, going into an overdose or at risk of overdosing. Uh, can you talk us through some of those designs and some of, the, uh, some of the ways they worked and some of the ways they didn't I suppose?
1: yeah I mean, so we we did that wearable device study um, by recruiting a subset of the Unity Philly participants who were folks who used um, illicit opioids with high frequency. We had a requirement of using at least four times a day. Um, and then we gave them a cur- commercially available, wearable biosensor. It's called the Spire for women that fit in sort of like the wing of their bra. And for gentlemen, it would fit sort of in the band of their shorts. And the way that that worked was to monitor respiratory rate. We were also getting um, heart rate and activity. Um, are Is this person moving? Yes or no. Um, and with that, we just wanted to see like, would people wear it with enough like frequency that it could actually be useful for helping us characterize physiological response to opioid use. Um, and so the, the, the silver lining is that yes, like people were super interested in the device and they wore it something like 90, 95% of the time. And they were very interested, um, in adding on, um, features to the monitor, such as, um, of sounding an alarm and alerting people automatically in the Unity Philly, sounding an alarm and letting nearby neighbors know, and potentially even administering naloxone through a device such as this. But the device that we use just wasn't designed for those purposes. And so we we now in the HEAL lab um, have gotten a little bit of uh, new funding to try and develop our own wearable biosensor. Um, that would fit on the shoulder, and then also be able to subcutaneously uh, auto inject naloxone when an overdose was detected.
0: So, with the with this band that fitted into into uh, the user's underwear, which would identify when an overdose was was happening. Um, I mean, how feasible was it? Did did people wear it um, enough of the time that it could? uh that it would prevent an overdose or or you know with it just like put into someone's favorite pair of pants and 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 was worn one in every eight days or something What, what kind of results did you get from that
1: yeah so uh we only enrolled 15 people again all high frequency folks who use or all folks who use opioids at um high frequency um 14 of the 15 uh, finished the study and all 14 of those folks were people who inject drugs. Um, And the average number of hours worn for the device was like 90, 95%. They did an amazing job Um, and they did come in. It was a study for five days. They came in every day to do a timeline follow back Interview where we reviewed the last 20, 24 hours with them to try and be able to take their drug use and their personal narratives as they reported it um, and triangulate that with the physiological data that we were getting out of the biosensor. Um, so, highly feasible. Highly acceptable. The device just wasn't designed to do what we wanted it to do. We needed something that would allow them to indicate when they were um, using drugs. Because for example, um, if I asked you how many a cups of coffee did you have? yesterday. I mean, unless you're very regimented, but like, where were you and who were you with and what were you doing and what were you thinking and how did you prepare your coffee? I mean, those things can vary. Right. And so the same thing is true. It's like, we've got these habituated behaviors, but they're not exactly the same. Right. And so that's why like data collection methods that can, can, can collect like highly contextual information are, are so important, especially as it relates to optimizing the way in which, Overdose um, education and the locks on distribution programs are working, right? Like these kinds of information around how frequently are people experiencing like significant respiratory depression, right? Because it's not just about the fatal overdoses. It's trying to categorize all of the, all of the steps along the way. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of ways in which these devices could be harnessed and utilized to prevent opioid overdoses, especially the 52% of overdoses that happen in the United States when people use alone, right? Like no matter how good of a job we do with OEND programs, people are still using alone loan for a whole host of reasons and in settings where legal supply isn't legal, where safer supply isn't legally permissible, where safer consumption isn't legally permissible, then we need to pursue like other routes, um, especially given we don't control the drug market. And so folks are making rational decisions about how and when and why they're using their drugs and preparing their drugs, and then they get served something that they didn't request. And that's when very frequently when opioid overdoses happen.
0: Um, so I think you, you've, you've suggested some of the uh, issues for the future and about having a, a wearable device that will will detect uh, an overdose and administer naloxone, which, which sounds amazing. Um, what are your What are your next steps? What are the next parts of this that you're that you're working on like currently?
1: Yeah. So Steve Lank- Lincoln now and David Schwartz are the PIs on, we call it Unity Philly 2.0, which would be a three neighborhood study in Philadelphia with the goal of then making something that could be utilized elsewhere. So we would start by enrolling a, a cohort of, of people who, a much larger cohort of people who would be trained on how to use the Unity Philly 2.0 app. And then we would open it up for larger consumption to see how many people in the city are actually interested in participating in this kind of an emergency response community and making it more of a like implementation style effectiveness trial. Um, So that's what we're trying to do in that space. And then with my partners at the University of Pennsylvania, we're working on the wearable devices that have the potential to uh, detect opioid overdose and then auto-inject naloxone with like an end goal of being about, well, how could we do a better wake up? Like, do we have to give somebody a huge bolus of naloxone? Could we titrate it up? Could we deliver it with comfort meds? And is there a way to then try and get somebody who just had like this horrible shock of naloxone potentially linked up to something like a macro dose of buprenorphine um, because that's when you're best able to start treatment, when you've got all of the opioids, uh, removed from your mu receptors, right. Or the majority. So there's like a lot of ways in which, uh, I think technology when done tastefully in cons- consultation with folks who would be the end users of these products, um, and develop to, respond to their concerns, their needs, the ways in which they would wear the devices when they wouldn't want to wear the devices, like all of that. If you can do the community facing um, design, then they have a lot of potential.
0: So it's it's amazing work for so many reasons. I I think the fact that it's that you're working with communities and it really kind of uh, borders the borders it, it mixes that kind of pure research as along with kind of feasibility and implementation this is about not just whether something uh works when isolated it's about whether something works in context and building the research into those contexts I think is, is an incredibly underused method in in diction research so it's really great to hear you talk about that and, and so glad you're going to be talking about that at the conference um with the kind of self-injecting uh, thing have you? It's a tedious and fairly old argument, but have you had any resistance from people who fear that this might encourage people to uh, be less careful with when injecting opioids?
1: I mean, people love to talk about risk compensation, right? They like to talk about it for birth control and for pre-exposure prophylaxis. Um, and there is some truth in some contexts, right? Um, if, for example, you could have more sexual pleasure by not wearing a condom, like those are, again, rational decisions, but we're talking about an instance in which people are weighing getting a little bit extra well right because for most folks who are living with serious active addiction they're not getting the crazy euphoria that they may have once gotten they're getting well versus overdose and dying that's just not it doesn't relate in, from my perspective and through my conversations with people in that same way right like people that's not the that's not the decision that people are making i think the 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 the, the pushback that we tend to get from folks is that people who use drugs just don't care that they don't care about the fact that they might overdose, that they're not going to be willing to wear these devices that um, that, working towards helping their friends and or themselves is not something that's important to them. And that's not congruent with any conversation that I've ever had. People are incredibly altruistic and they like to use this expertise that is like shunned constantly to then help pay it forward to people, whether it's to prevent someone from going down that same road or to help them once they're there. Um, And so- you know, I don't think these devices are going to be for everybody all of the time, but I do think we could think about, you know, which, which patients in which context, which participants in which context these would work for. Um, and maybe they're not going to be the same for everybody.
0: Thank you for uh, <laughs> answering that again, which is probably something you've spoken about a lot and probably will uh, a lot in the future. No, I just have lots that of opinions about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of move on slightly. So you're the um, the, the founder and director of the Health uh, Equity Advancement Lab, uh, Heal. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the work that you do at? At in heel, at heel, in heel. At heel,
1: within heel, through heel. <laughs> through <know>.
0: heel. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, so the Health Equity Advancement Lab is, you know, it's comprised of myself, a few other faculty members at Drexel, um, as well as students. And the goal is to really uh, it's to do harm reduction related research to try and decrease health disparities among people who use drugs. Um, and a key component is focusing on training students to be able to do culturally competent research and public health work in community with the agencies and the end users of whatever intervention or program that they're working on uh, with the goal of thinking about you know how can we co-create interventions that will be acceptable to the people who have to deliver them and the people who might receive them so they ultimately end up being a little bit more sustainable.
0: Dr Alexis Roth, really looking forward to seeing your presentation on on this and uh, your work on the Unity Philly app. It's fascinating and incredibly important work. Um, For now though, uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you in Bristol.